Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Push Through Podcast. I am actually recording this on February 3rd, Wednesday, and typically the show goes up Wednesday morning at 8 a.m., sometimes even Tuesday night if I'm like really on it, but um, life has been busy. So before we get into today's episode, I wanted to catch you up a little bit about what's been going on. Um, I said at the beginning of the year that I had started the group practice, which I have, and things have been going very well. Um, but it's also a reminder of how social media kind of projects entrepreneurship or being self-employed. And I always have my qualms about how that's betrayed because people can have all of these different types of, um, let me tell you how to make six figures in a month, or let me tell you how you can quit your job and earn 1 million in 30 days. And they make it seem very glamorous, but it is a lot of hard work. And something that people often don't understand about the comforts of having a traditional job where you work a nine to five is that in some jobs, not all, but some, you literally work nine and then you get off at five and you go on about your life and you don't really think anything else of it. And you get that guaranteed check every two weeks. There's a lot of comfort in that. Um, Plus your taxes are automatically taken out as well. Whereas with being self-employed and entrepreneurship, um, Sometimes you can find yourself working more than 40 hours. And especially currently with where I am, um, I'm kind of playing like a lot of hats, um, intake, billing, marketer, um, clinical advisor, supervisor, um, just all, all of it. Um, so with that, plus with the kids being at home, fortunately, we have somebody that comes in and helps um, typically from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Two days a week, I work late to either 5.30 or 8 p.m. Um, but the other days, I work until 2 p.m. So I'm like, within those six hours, I'm busting it out, doing everything, work, 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 work. And then I'll have the kids from 2 until 7 p.m. where the youngest will lay down for bed and um, my oldest will be able to have some quiet time and then I'll knock out some work from 7 p.m. until 11 p.m. or until midnight. And that's that's my day-to-day. So when Friday comes and the weekends, I do a really good job about Saturday and Sunday completely checking out and just really being present. And being present is important to me with the kids and making sure that they have all of my attention as much as possible. But I can come in kind of exhausted. And on top of that, I have kids that wake up early. Um, So since my youngest goes to bed at seven, which works right now because I have so much work to do starting at seven that it's okay. Um, But sometimes he can wake up at 6 a.m., 5.30 a.m. or 7 a.m. If I'm lucky, it'll feel like I'm sleeping in if I sleep until seven. Um, But like this morning, he woke up at like 5.30 and was just up. And when he's up, he's up. Um, So it's just like managing all of that. Um, Plus doing the podcast and I'm on the Postpartum Support International Board and I'm over at the training committee where I am getting providers across the state of Georgia to learn how to screen and get help for women who have perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And we are hosting our 
first annual Black Maternal Mental Health Summit, which is on February 27th. So I have those things in combination plus other projects. And I say all of that to say not to say that I'm complaining, but I'm explaining why this show is coming up today and not why it's not up at 8 a.m. this morning. So that's just like a little bit of backstory. But on the topic of the Black Maternal Mental Health Summit, um, I'm going to put the link to it because it's something that I feel like I'm really passionate about. Um, I've been a part of the planning, getting the speakers, helping getting the agenda set up, everybody that's worked on it. We're a pretty small team of like five of us that's been putting this thing together. Um, we got funding for it. Plus, we have some gracious donors and sponsors in making this something that's big. And it's free for anybody in the community that wants to take part. And we're expected to have about 200 attendees. Um, and it's huge because it is something where we're supporting Black mothers. We are giving them some educational tools and resources in order to navigate motherhood, as well as recognize the fact that the mortality rate amongst Black mothers are at an astronomical number, if I said that right. And um, even with women who suffer from postpartum depression, so the statistic behind that is one in seven women will experience that, which is a pretty slim number. So that's like out of seven of my friends, one of us is going to have a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And one of them was me. Um, however, for black women, that number is even higher. So one in three women that are black experience a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And that is from... A plethora of reasons. Um, it can be because of hormonal issues. It can be because they have to go back to work, finances, uh, what's going on with their partner, what's going on in the environment, the social climate of the country. All of that can contribute to how a black mother experienced motherhood, even if they've had birth trauma. All of that um, is a huge factor. And so that's why this summit is so important is because we are trying to do something about it, have conversations about it. So give you a background of what's going to be taking place in some of the topics. Um, I'm super excited because I'm actually going to be presenting and I'm going to be doing a one-on-one -on, -one on educating Black mothers on what are perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, which is aka postpartum depression, as is commonly discussed. But breaking that down and explaining what that is. Um, and then we're going to have a Department of Public Health nurse. Her name is Tikara um, Woolfork. She is going to be talking about the stigma in the Black community. Um, how to break that being that we live in a culture where secrecy is important. Don't have your business in the streets. You know, I don't want to go to a therapist. I want to go to my minister or, you know, black women. We just, you know, we just do what we have to do. We just keep it going. We don't need any help. We don't have time for help. Breaking that stigma because you are strong if you ask for help and you receive it. Um, and you're able to be the mother that you want to be because you have that help. So that's going to be a great, great discussion. Um, after that, it's going to be Dr. Ayana Abrams, who was a guest on our previous show. She's going to be speaking on advocating in your community, um, how to speak up when you don't feel like something is right, how to talk to your doctor, how to advocate for reproductive rights, 
um, within the black maternal health space in your community and just be a beacon in that um, because this is a cause and it is a public health issue. And then Aaron Muller, who is an LCSW, he is not based in Georgia, um, but he's going to be doing um, a discussion on engaging black men, how to get black fathers more involved, how to make space for them, how they can support their co-parenters, if that's a word, um, how they can be there along on the front lines um, when mom is in the hospital and she can't express what she's feeling, what she wants, how can a father speak up for her and advocate for her? So that's going to be something that's super needed. Then we have a discussion panel. Um, we have two survivors um, of mothers who've experienced postpartum depression um, or as well as some birth trauma. So we have Brandy Frazier, who's also been on the show. And then we also have Ashanti Williams, who's going to be talking. Then we have Dr. Pfeiffer. She is a clinical psychologist, as well as a professor at Agnes Scott. And she specializes in maternal mental health, as well as trauma. So she's going to be talking about birth trauma. And then we have Shanisha Boswell of Black Moms Blog. And then we have Dr. Hernandez, who is a researcher, scholar, um, published amazing work. And she also works at Morehouse School of Medicine. And to wrap it up, we have uh, uh, Jennifer Goodlow. Um, she's going to be talking about self-care. Um, which is something that's also thrown on the back burner for black mothers, how we don't make space for ourselves or we don't know how, like, I don't know how many black moms I've talked to that when I say like, you should carve out time for yourself. You pour so much into your child. What are you doing for you? And they'll say, well, it's a pandemic. I mean, what can I do? I can't go get my nails done. I can't go get my hair done. And it's so much more than hair and nails. You know, sometimes it's just about just having quiet time to yourself or watching the show to yourself or doing your hair in your house, get, taking a long shower, um, journaling, calling a girlfriend and catching up when you didn't have that time before. It's just being able to do whatever you want to do <laughs> because it's about you within that time. So um, Jennifer is going to be talking about how to be more consistent with self-care, how to prioritize it, how to combat that guilt around the idea of it, but making sure that it's a priority. We have amazing sponsors. Um, the first 100 people that sign up are going to get some really great gift bags um, that are amazing. I'm going to put the link in below of how you can register if you're interested in attending. So that's going to be a big deal. Um, the second thing that's coming up is Push Through. It's going to be having an event on March 13th. Um, it's a Saturday. And the event is kind of something that's piggybacking off of something that I had in September, which was Push Through Mama Breathe. Push Through Mama Breathe was on combating anxiety, um, being a mother during the pandemic, and just finding some strategies on how to cope because it was just so much going on in the year of 2020. Whereas Push Through Mama Identity is going to be about rediscovering who you are. So many mothers um, will say that they feel like they've lost themselves in motherhood or they had to get rid of the old self that they were before they became a mother. And none of those things have to exist. Like both people can coexist in the same body. 
Um, if anything, you are still who you are. You just have another responsibility. So we're going to be talking about how to be able to do that. In addition to that, how to manage your self-esteem and your self-image because your body changes drastically. And some people have that snapback. Some people don't. Some people get more comfortable with how they physically look. Some people don't like how they physically look after they've become a mom, but they don't have the space or the time to do anything about it and say a lot of self-deprecating things about their self, their appearance um, and don't feel good about how they look. And that can affect in many areas, avoiding the mirror, not feeling comfortable during intimacy, not being able to reconnect with their spouse, just feeling a lot of difficulty in finding something to wear when they go out, just all of that. Um, so we have two experts that are going to be leading some different sessions, um, on how to get those strategies and tools to navigate those spaces. Plus mothers will be able to connect with other moms across the country. And we're going to be doing some meditations, mindfulness, um, sound bath, meditation, journaling, all of that good stuff within those three short hours that we have together. So I'm super excited about that. That link's going to be in the show notes as well. So you can register and sign up. And, um, with all of that said, why don't I introduce you for the next episode of who who am I interviewing? So I had the pleasure of being able to talk to my sister-in-law, um, Palin. And Palin is originally from Ghana, West Africa. And I, like I said, in a lot of these interviews of people that are close to me, there's a lot of parts of their motherhood story and journey that I would have never known um, because it's just something that we don't talk about, especially amongst black women. We just don't sit down and say, so what was what was the fourth trimester like for you? You know, like you can ask yourself, how often do do I ask someone that or ask your mother that or your aunt or your great grandmother? It's just things that we don't talk about. But that sharing of that story is so important because it's helped preparing other women around us. It's helped supporting the other women that are around us. It's feeling heard. In a lot of ways, it could be therapeutic. And in Pauline's story, as we talk about making space for ourselves, she talks about how she dedicates her life to her children and how it is important to her that they have a structured life. And she is that anchor for her kids and how that gives her so much satisfaction and a lot of gratification. But within that, she's found time at the beginning of her day to carve out for herself to become an author of several books and being able to escape through the fiction stories that she creates and how she's been able to create a life that's great for her. Um, so I think that it's it's a different tell to be spoken um, in regards to being open about the fact that some moms do just enjoy the idea of motherhood and all of the the nuances and the tasks that are associated with it can be so rewarding, especially being able to see your child really enjoy all of the extracurricular activities and being able to drive them around and seeing how happy they are and being able to make friends and just have this life for themselves. And in addition to that, not forgetting yourself and still being able to find 
what activity, what hobby did you really love to do before you became a mom that you can be intentional about making a space for that? No matter what time, no matter what day, how early, but you can still be able to fulfill yourself in that way. So before we get that started, I know I have had a busy couple of weeks and I'm sure everybody has. So we're going to start this off with a meditation, okay? I'm going to do a body scan meditation. I've done this with many of my clients, especially whenever they may come into a session where they just feel just overwhelmed and like have a lot going on. And it's like, okay, let's let's get some grounding right now before we get into this. Um, let's let's create some somatic awareness. Um, so this is a body scan meditation. It's just a few minutes. Um, so if you're listening to this and you're driving, you may not be able to close your eyes. Um, so you can pause this and come back later. Or you could be able to go along with the exercise with just skipping that part. But if you are at home, take a few minutes to kind of clear your space where you can be able to participate in this short exercise before we get in today's show. So find a comfortable seated position on a chair or cushion um, that you can maintain for the next several minutes. The aim of this practice is to cultivate awareness of your body without judgment. Take a moment to tune into each area of your body, increasing your awareness of your sensations and the experiences. First, bring your attention to your breath. Make space for whatever you are feeling, including any areas of tension, heaviness, or constriction. Take a deep breath in. Breathe in for four seconds. Hold it for four seconds. And exhale for four seconds. As you take your deep breaths, when you breathe in, Try to scoop up all of the stress or anxiety that you may be holding within your body and excel it out, being able to release the stressors that you're wearing, all of the tension that you're having in your body. Breathe all of that out so it can empty out of your belly. Now, bring your awareness to your feet, legs, and pelvis. Notice the sensations in your muscles and on your skin. Next, take a deep breath as you bring your attention into your torso, becoming aware of any sensations in your abdomen and lower back. Notice your spine and any sensations across your chest or upper back. Take another deep breath in for four seconds. Hold it for four seconds. Exhale for four seconds. Remember as you're breathing, you're getting rid of anything that is negative, anything that is worrisome, anything that is stressful, that is lingering in your body. You're scooping it out. You're bringing it out. You're breathing it out of your body and emptying it out of you. Now bring your awareness to your shoulders, arms, and legs. Notice any areas of tension or relaxation. Last, bring your attention to your neck, throat, and face. 
Notice your eyes, your mouth, and your tongue and the general sensations of your head. Take in one last deep breath. Hold it for four seconds. Exhale for four seconds. As you complete your body scan, take a final moment to notice your body as a whole. Be aware of where you feel any tension, where you feel any stress, where you feel there's areas in your body that you're holding on to things, and areas of body that you feel are relaxed. All right, so that was a quick body scan that comes from the book, The Complex PTSD, A Mind-Body Approach to Regaining Emotional Control and Becoming Whole by Ariel Schwartz. Um, with that said, I hope we are caught up. I hope that was a good meditation for you. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right. So thank you for joining me for another episode of the Push Through Podcast. And I'm so excited to be joined by Palin, my sister-in-law. It is such a pleasure to have you. Hi, Palin. Hi, thank you for having me, Keisha. Of course. And just to give you a little bit of background, April. say that again. We were supposed to do this in April I when know. Chris was born, but you know, yes. God had other plans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Corona. <laughs> But um, to give you a background about Pauline, um, she has a finance background. Um, she works in banking. She's originally from Ghana, and she's also an author. And you've published how many books now? Five books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm busy. <laughs> right, she's busy. And uh, um, she's a mother of two, so she juggles a lot. Yes, um, but before we get into like how you got to all of these these mini hats that you carry, take us back to did you always know that you wanted to be a mom or was that something that you hadn't even thought about when you were younger? Oh, oh yes. We had a full house. I grew up in a full house with my dad, my stepmom, and I have seven siblings. Mm. <laughs> and my younger brother, David, he lived in the States, but all my other siblings were all in Ghana. So we had a full house, like on Christmas or New Year's, any special occasion. We have a huge house, like cooking, less laughter, there's drinking. Mm. So I always wanted that. I always wanted a home with like lots of kids. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's good. Okay. So then tell us what was life like in Ghana? How was it growing up or what experiences did you have? Yeah, it was fun. But... It's different from how parenting is here. Mm. I feel like the kids in the States get away with a lot of things. Really? <laughs> cannot get away with in Ghana. How so? <laughs> uh, a lot. Like, anytime I watch, like, these TV shows and stuff, and I see, like, kids talking back to their parents, I'm like, my dad will slap me in the mouth <laughs> if I ever say, like, shut up or I walk away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's totally different. And he, though he had, like, many kids and, he still was very strict and kept up with everybody. Mm. Yeah. 
Wow. And I feel like they get away with things. I'm like, I keep telling my kids, you are not going to get away with things, even though we live in the United States. Yeah. I'm going to reach you the Ghanaian way. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. What was even like, what was school like there? It, it was the same. I went to um, boarding school in mm-hmm. junior high. Mm-hmm. So that was about three years. So I spent like three years away from home. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. And it was it, it was an all-girls? It was an all-girls boarding school? No. I oh, went it was co-ed. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay. All right. Yeah. How was it being away from home? I was terrified <laughs> the first week I went in. I remember when they dropped me off. And I watched the taillights. I was like, oh my God, come back, Tony, come back. <laughs> <laughs> it was really tough, but I got used to it. And luckily for me, my boarding school was about 20 minutes from home. So I used to sneak Oh, back. that's not bad. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <that's> <laughs> I, I got lucky. I used to sneak back home and eat and, and make sure my dad doesn't see me. <laughs> sneak back into school real quick. <laughs> He was, he was very strict. So then when you came to the States, you had came for undergrad, right? I came for my undergraduate and then I ended up doing my graduates too. Okay, gotcha. And you were how old when you came over? I was 25. When I first came. No, I was 24 when I first came and then I went back home and prepared to move back to the States and I I moved back when I was 25. And gotcha. I stayed here till I was 29. Right after college, I went back to Ghana to work. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was there for about two years. Okay. And then I returned to Ohio. Gotcha. Because my husband lives in Ohio, so I returned to Ohio. So yeah. when you first came for undergrad, what was it like for you? Like coming from Ghana, having been grown, growing up there, been around such a big family, your siblings, and then to come to South Georgia... What, what was that like? It was so lonely. It was so lonely because my mom is a nurse and she works at night. Mm-hmm. So she was always gone. And during the day, my brother David, <laughs> he was always somewhere, God knows. Mm-hmm. I was always at home alone. And my only friend was the television. There was no laughter. <laughs> there was no laughter and parties like what I was used to. But I quickly adjusted. So. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then you finished school. And um, you had always known your husband, right? Didn't you guys know each other? For no, no, I met him in Georgia, actually. I met him I did not know that! Yeah. <laughs> in, um, when you, the, the year I moved, I think it was 2006, I was with my friend Susan. Ah! Yes, and uh-huh. um, his Susan's husband's um, boyfriend at the time, his friend. So I went over to visit her, and that's when I met him. Ah. And we went to the same high school I went to, but he graduated before. Oh, I, that's yeah, what it was. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. So then I remember when you guys um, had your ceremony in Ghana. Yeah. Because I remember your dress was beautiful and you looked gorgeous. Thank and you. <laughs> then you guys had moved to Ohio. And then at what point was it? For example, with Ezra, Ezra wasn't planned, but he wasn't prevented. So was Taraji, was she something that was oh, like planned? Was planned. <laughs> she was planned. Because I, <laughs> I got married at 31 
I'm like, I need to have, because I knew I, w- I w- wanted to have two kids. Mm. So I'm like, I need to have these kids before 35 or at least 36. Mm-hmm. Because you know, all these stories about having kids after 36, you go through so many medical issues and yeah. stuff. I'm like, okay, I just want to get these kids out of the way. I'm ambitious. I have lots of things to do. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. need to get them out of the way and start with my life. So she was planned. Ah, what was, because you were all the way up there and, and I didn't really even know about the whole experience. What was your pregnancy like? It was terrible. Really? I, yeah, I threw up for nine months with terror. Oh I my God. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I was trained up the day I was giving birth to her. Whilst I was pushing, they had the buckets right next to me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it was that, yeah, it was that bad. And I was on medication, but it still didn't help. Mm. And they kept saying it's something about the female hormones that makes you throw up more. Yeah. I don't know, but hers was just terrible. Oh no. And then I had a placenta previous, so I was on I was on bed rest for about a few weeks. Oh wow. Yes. Now tell us what is what is that? What she was separated for the placenta. Oh. Yeah, so I had to take it easy and just lay lay down all day doing nothing. Oh, goodness. Well, Luckily for me, I wasn't working at the time. Okay, so I was just going to ask you that. Okay, yeah. so you could just, like, rest. And yeah. then, how was labor and delivery? I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So, everything was all new. It was about 21 hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went in a Friday, on Friday at 5, um, 5 a.m., and she came on was it Saturday? Yeah, Saturday morning at 2.45 a.m. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Was it painful? What Did you have epidural? And she wouldn't come out. I pushed for, when it was time to push, I pushed for two hours and 45 minutes. And the doctor had to hold like a bed sheet. She held one end and I held the other. And we just like pulled. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's what we kept doing till she came out. Oh, wow. Okay. And when she came, there was an issue. This is something about she ate some stuff in the water, so she she didn't come out crying. Oh. We had to take her to the ICU, and yeah, they revived her, I think, I'll say like 20 seconds after she was born. Oh, wow. And I remember I kept saying, what's going on? She's not crying. What's going on? And nobody would say anything. Then I saw a yeah, crying. I'm like, oh, crap. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That's scary. Yeah, that was scary. Oh, and then when she started crying and they gave it to him, I'm like, I don't, I, I don't want to hold her. She's tiny. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't hold her for the first hour. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I didn't sleep in this, but I finally held her. That was it. I didn't want to let go. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And I remember the first two days, she slept for two days straight. Mm. And I kept asking my mom, is she going to wake up? She's like, let her sleep, because once they wake up, that's it. I know, right? <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I'm going back to bed. <laughs> and I remember when you had came to Georgia, yeah. how how long were you postpartum before you came to stay with your mom for a little bit? A month. A month? Okay, so you were a month yeah. postpartum. So yeah. by the time like we all left the hospital and you went home, how oh, was... I was depressed. I remember I was depressed. Rest, and she would wake up. She used to wake up about three times a night in the night, and she would cry. And I would be, and I cried to where she's crying. I'm like, leave me alone. What do you want? Mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was so frustrated. It was scary, but I don't know. And she was, she woke up in the night at least three times for like a full month. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I remember the day we got to Georgia. That evening, Keisha, I slept for two days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just gave it to my mom. I'm like, please don't wake me up. Yeah, yeah, I, that is I, hard. I, I was like a zombie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So after you had came home from the hospital, I know like Yao was there, but was he off from work or did he have to go right back to work? He had to go right back to work. So it was just so, you at the house yeah. by yourself? Yeah, I was always home by myself with a mm. screaming creature. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> with a yellow face staring back at me. I'm like, what do you want? Oh. I fed you. I cleaned you. What do you want? I know. What, what do you want? Why do you keep crying? Yeah. Oh, and that is hard. So do you feel like when you came to Georgia and you had some actual help and you got to get some rest, did it get better? Do you feel like it, it was still an adjustment? Yeah, it did. Because when she first came, I'm like, okay, so this little human being is going to depend on me. It's going to look up to me. Like, what do I have to give? I was terrified. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's really terrifying. Mm -hmm. But after I went to Georgia and I was well rested and, you know, mothers, they teach you a lot of, a lot of things. So we were there for about three months. Mm -hmm. I felt much better. Oh, good. I came back to Ohio. Yeah. How was breastfeeding for you? It was, it wasn't easy with her. I, mean, I remember she couldn't latch on, mm -hmm. so I had to take the classes. I took classes before I gave birth, and I had to do it again after she came for like a week. Mm -hmm. And she wouldn't latch on, but we figured it out with all these little things that you put on your nipple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah nipple that shield. really helped. That's that really good. Helped. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I feel like it's almost perfect that your first was a daughter, because I've always known of you as being... You know, into fashion and dressing up and hair and yeah. wanting to look nice, and then to have a daughter that you can do all of those things with. I never thought I will because my uh, my grandmother had seven sons. Really? No, right, seven sons, no girl. And my dad always said I remind him of his mother, mm. so he named me. Yeah, she named me after her. And my sister, my older sister, she had three boys. And when she was trying for her third kid because she wanted a girl, my dad told her, you are no, you're going to be just like your grandmother. You're not going to have girls. So stop trying because they're going to end up like your grandmother and have a bunch of boys. <laughs> so after her third kid came and it was a boy, she gave up. And he said the same thing to me that I'm only going to have boys. Ah. I never imagined myself with a girl. So when they did the ultrasound and they told me it's a girl, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> every time we went for a doctor's visit, I asked them to check to confirm is it really a girl? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was over the moon, like I'm getting a mini me. <laughs> I'm sure. How yeah. how has it been being a girl mom? Has it been like? Oh, it's fun. Her? I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. And she was such a tomboy, and you know I'm a girly girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So every time I put her in dresses and stuff, and I take her to the daycare, the teachers are the they said they find it so funny that she she's like the she dresses like a girly girl, but she only plays with the boys and she wrestles with the boys. You're supposed to be a girly girl. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Okay, yeah. so then after Taraji came, when did you decide that you wanted to try again? Just like me and my brother, I like the three-year difference. Mm. So I'm like, I'm just going to help me and my brother. <laughs> so when she was three, that's when I got pregnant with Mark. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. How was it? That was a different experience because with, with Taraji, my whole pregnancy, I wasn't working. Yeah. So I was just home. With Mark, it was different. I worked throughout my pregnancy to the, to the last day. Mm. I was very... 
he wasn't bad with the nausea. It lasted for about two months. Mm-hmm. It was pretty bad at the beginning, but it went away. And I remember asking for medication, and the doctor said, no, not this really? time. I have to ah. tough it up. That <laughs> 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 he did, because, yeah, it, it went away. He wasn't bad. Mark wasn't bad. And I knew what to expect, I guess. That's true. But, yeah, that's why it wasn't so bad. Okay. How was labor and delivery with Mark? It wasn't as long as Soraji's, but it was the hardest when it, it was time to push. Mm. It was so bad. I They had to use the forceps to pull him out. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And did you... So, oh, my God. I was so in love like mm. with Mark. Oh, my God. When he put it in my arms, I'm like, oh, my God. He is so cute. And he was <laughs> just like my dad. And I named him after my dad. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. So I when... Know. When did you come back down to Georgia after Mark, or did you stay up there longer? I stayed longer. This time I was a pro. I knew what to mm-hmm. do. I didn't need my mommy. <laughs> my mom came at the beginning when he was born. That's right. He was, she was here for about two weeks and left. But we came to visit when Mark was about six months, or was it? Yeah. No, like yeah. eight months. I remember yeah. that. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And I, I feel like, at least for me, and then I hear... Going from one to two is an adjustment. And it was an adjustment for us just for like Ezra to get adjusted to another baby in the house. And then, you know, Ezra had become so independent. And then we have this whole other baby to have to tend to. How was it for you juggling the two? And then that you had like a girl and a boy. It was hard, especially for Taraji, because she was like, okay, first. Like, oh, this cute baby, my baby brother, my baby brother. And then she began to realize that she didn't get the attention that she mm. used to get before Mark came. So she started to, like, resent him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I know. It wasn't now. She was like, oh, no, he's crying. Mom, your baby's crying. <laughs> your baby's crying. Room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come get your baby. He's, she's very noisy. <laughs> she walk out of the room. But it was... It was easier when it was just her, but mm-hmm. with the two, I'm like, oh my god, I've, I've given up. I don't care about makeup. I, don't, I just, you know, I just go. I'm like, it's I'm worried. Yeah, <laughs> it's it hard. Is hard. Yeah, and then to work full time, and you now have a candle business. I so know I was, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I know. I have the candle business. I'm working full time in banking, and I'm writing, and I'm oh. full time mom, and yeah. So how do you, which I guess is like a good, a good topic. I agree. It. I remember like after, even after Ezra, I felt like I wasn't on top of my game as I was before I had a child. Just being like, being able to exercise as often as I wanted to or dress how I wanted to or wear makeup or get my hair done. And then with having Ellis, the intentions were to like, okay, after I have him, I'm going to get back to it, be on it. But then the pandemic happened. So like, I'm not going anywhere (laughs) to like look like anything, but it can be hard and you can lose yourself. How do you, knowing that you were always a girly girl, always into fashion, hair, dresses, going out, how did you keep that or did you? I don't think I did. I think I lost it. Mm. <laughs> but I think I've lost myself, a, a lot of myself. And I know it will come at some point. But for now, I'm like, I'm just going to dedicate myself to the kids. Because mm. it's just, it's a lot. So my daily routine is I wake up at 4. 4 a.m.? 
I still do anyway, but before the pandemic, oh yeah, I wake up at four every day. <laughs> I pack up their stuff for daycare, you know, like their bags, like with Mark, you have to pack diapers and wipes and extra clothes. Mm-hmm. And Taraji started school, so you have to pack your school stuff to make sure like all the homework and stuff is already. And I drop them off at the daycare by six to, I'm a creature of habit, so <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> if they ever put like FBI on me, he's going <laughs> <laughs> at the daycare like 6 30 every day shop <laughs> <laughs> i drop them off and i get to the office i like to go and it works us by 8 a.m everybody's in the office and it's all noisy and i enjoy the one hour of quiet because mm. that's the only hour of quiet i have i don't have quiet at home mm-hmm. i don't have quiet when people that's come true. into that seven yeah. to eight that's my quiet time and that's the time i write Ah, yeah. I try to drop in to drop them off by six thirty. There's not much traffic, yeah. So it takes about thirty minutes to get to the office, and I just write for that one hour. Nice. And then I'll be in the office till about four thirty. By five, I'll be at the daycare picking them up. It will depends on traffic, but by five, I'll be at the daycare pick them up, come home, cook, get them ready for bed. I go to bed and start this all over the, again the next day. Oh my goodness. Do you feel like you get enough rest? No, no, at all. I feel like a zombie most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Enough rest, no. I used to nap in the office at lunchtime. I just put my head on the table and just nap. (laughs) Mm. And then on the weekends, because like I know I hear you saying, like right now you'll catch up with the things that you were passionate about before. Of course, like you do writing and then you do your businesses now, but... As far as like with the fashion and going out and and all of that, you can do that later. On the weekends, do you ever get to catch up with friends or go to dinner or? No, my weekends are book. So Saturdays, I take, <laughs> I go for um the grocery shopping. Yeah. Um, at Kroger by 7 a.m. Oh my and then for me, I'm a creature of habit. <laughs> she knows the time I come. <laughs> my groceries i come home and i get Taraji ready for um her ballet class um, i take her to ballet after ballet she has piano lessons i take wow. her to piano i know i come back home and I, I cook for the week and then on sunday i fix you know, our hair you know we do a lot of things yeah. with our hair we are not like to just wake up and put in a yeah. ponytail so i braid her hair and maybe fix mine i clean i wash i iron and get them ready for the week my weekend is gone <laughs> oh my goodness so anytime a friend is doing something like lunch a lunch party i'm like please don't invite me please don't. Oh, <laughs> leave wow. me out of this because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that shows my whole weekend off yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is true it is busy. Yeah, i go in on monday like oh my god i feel like i didn't do something i missed something yeah <laughs> do you ever burn out Oh, yeah, I do. Mm. All the time. I, this pandemic, sorry to say, has been a blessing for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. When I went for my annual checkup, the doctor told me I'd gain 15 pounds. I'm like, yeah, thanks to the pandemic. <laughs> tough rest. You're not alone. I think every, <laughs> yeah. I need to hurry up. I need to wake up at four and hurry to take the kids to daycare and hurry to work and mm-hmm. come back. And then I skip lunch and I eat late and no. So it's been a blessing for me. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. Okay. So how do you balance? I mean, I know that you say like having a schedule and a routine, it sounds like definitely helps in being able to block out time to be able to write. Do you ever just feel like 
it's so much. And especially like with you being ambitious and having yes. business and everything, do you ever feel overwhelmed or do you feel yeah, like it feels like a failure? Mm. Yeah. I, I always feel like, oh my God, I could have. I always feel like when I don't reach my goal because I set so much expectations for myself. Yeah. So when I don't reach that goal, I'm like, I feel like a failure. Like this suck the living, mm. you know, they suck the living so out of you. So when it comes to things that I do for myself, like for the writing, I love it, you know, and that is what I do to entertain myself. Yeah. Find my, so when I don't get the opportunity to do it the way I want to do it, I always feel like so banal, so, so much like a failure. It's just, but yeah. Gotcha. But I have written five books. That's amazing. <laughs> In four years. That's yeah. awesome. Which says yeah. a lot. I mean, like if that's something that feeds your soul and you're able to make that time it for does. it, that's it amazing. Does. Yeah. Okay. And uh, something that always has been huge, I know, like, with being West African, having your culture and still being in touch with it is super important. And having been raised there, grew up there, and come here as an adult, how do you make sure it's a priority to teach the kids everything that you've learned and you've experienced in your culture? Being that they're now in the States. And I know that being raised in the States is completely different. How how are you guys like really intentional about that? I feel like that time hasn't come yet because mm. they're so young, you know, they're mm-hmm. so young and they're still learning. That time hasn't really I try to teach her a lot of things. Like um Tarajiko, she's um six now and she's she, she's learning fast. And she's always she's now talking back. So I yeah, I check it the very moment she does it, I'm like, ah no. <laughs> <laughs> Your friends can do it. The shows that you watch on TV, they can do it, but it, it's not allowed in this house. Right. And no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I try, I try. And it comes naturally to me. I don't have to sit down and write it down and try to remember what my parents taught me. Yeah. It just comes naturally. That's true. Yeah. That is important. Okay. Yeah. What do you feel like is the hardest part about being a mom? Um, I think parenting will will always be a work in progress. I just feel the hardest part is not being able to understand them when they have like an issue like with Taraji growing now and she having friends and sometimes she goes through these emotions and stuff. I don't want to be the parent that is so stuck in being like the strict parent that I miss the part where I have to be her friend. Mm, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that is the hardest part, drawing the line between being like a strict parent and then being her friend. I, Because my dad, there was, there was no, um, no, there was a line. He was not your friend. He was the parent. <laughs> you know? And I want a balance right. with that. I yeah. want him to be like my best friend, to be able to tell me stuff. Right. And at the same time, be the strict parent. That was, you cannot do that, you know? So yeah. that is where it gets a bit tricky. Gotcha. But I th- yeah, but it will come. For now, it I feel like it hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah. Not if she gets to that evil age called teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we'll see. Okay. I like it. I like the fact that the first is the girl because I feel like females are more responsible when mm-hmm. they are the first. Yeah. I agree. So I like, yeah. What um what do you feel like is the most rewarding thing about being a mother? Oh my god, everything. <laughs> everything. Like no matter how tired I am um, just seeing the like the hugs and the laughs and mm. the, I love you, mommy. And then, oh my god, it's so rewarding. 
when they fall asleep at night, you just look at them like, oh my God, I'm so blessed. You Aww, know? That is true. Yeah. I agree. They they look so angelic and, and <laughs> peaceful when they go to sleep. And I know. how they have like I unconditional love. And sour. <laughs> <laughs> like a sour patch kid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I, yeah, I can see that. What is it like um, raising kids in Ohio? It's... Uh, It's weird. Mm. It's weird. Because with where we live and the school district and where Taraji goes to school, it's about, I'll say, 90% white. Mm. So 90% white. It's very. She asked me, she's like, how come there are only like four brown people in the world and everybody else is peach? She calls them peach. Mm. else's speech i was like okay how do i answer this i was like okay so after the pandemic i'm going to take it to a place where there's a lot of brown people it's not only four of of them in the world right right (laughs) yeah it's weird and i don't what i don't like is her eating habits because she hasn't like adjusted to any of the african foods Mm. oh yeah no she's very american when it comes to Ah. food (laughs) that's also hard but yeah gotcha so it, it lacks diversity there and then for her to just kind of like take on and eating a lot of the African foods. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. What about even just like welcoming for, and even though I know you don't have like the time, but have you made mom friends there or are there any other women you identify I, with, with kids your age there? I did like through the ballet school. Okay. I try not to get close to anyone because I don't want anybody inviting me anywhere. My time is full. <laughs> My time is full. I have no time for you. <laughs> don't invite me. I yeah, cannot come. I always try to keep to myself. And they are always doing stuff. They are always inviting. I'm like, please forget me. <laughs> <laughs> please forget me. I don't want to be a friend. Yes. <laughs> I got this tribal because Taraji has to like, like the and Mark, they have to have friends and mm-hmm. go out and, you know, I have to try more. But, like, I would try when the time comes. Like, for now, my plate is full, so please. <laughs> so when you have, like, a really rough day, let's say, like, Taraji is just jumping off the wall. Mark Always. is having, like, temper tantrums. The house is a mess. You have so much to do. There, You can't even think because we have those days. You can't think because they're both just doing their thing. How do you like ground yourself? Like, how do you take a breath or take a minute, or do you? I just let them do it. At some point, I get tired of the screaming because they just don't they, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just let them do what they need to do. I try to relax now. My newfound love is audiobooks, oh, so yeah. I just yeah. yeah, and that that helps me a lot with their chores. Listening to a good book, I just follow them, pick up all their mess. I ignore this, everything you're doing. Because, you know, you know, before you have kids, you have this idea about how perfect your kids will be. Mm-hmm. You see people with their kids in Walmart, misbehaving, like, oh, my God, my kids are not going to do mm-hmm. that. They're mm-hmm. not going to eat that. All that goes out the window the moment you get those kids. Mm-hmm. This is true. <laughs> like, I just give it, like, let them just do whatever they need to do. Right. And I'll go with it when they go to bed. <laughs> I, it's like, that's how I used to be when I would be on flights with people with children. Before I had children, I'd be like, oh my gosh, their child is just like screaming, like, oh my gosh, it's so disruptive. And like, now I'm just like oblivious to it. Kids will do whatever. Even if I don't have my kids with me on a flight, 
And someone's child is screaming. I'm just like, God bless you. I know what it's like. <laughs> You'll get I'm through writing, this. Like, I'm having some me time and I'm writing. And so you run scene and say, Mark is doing this and screaming. I'm like, is he bleeding? She says, no. I'm like, then leave me out of this. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So someone is dying. Leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How? But when she came, was just here. Mm-hmm. So I was very, like, all over the very possessive. I'll pick up her pacifier and I'll clean it every second. Yes. <laughs> you know, I would change her clothes about three times a day. But my baby needs to be like the princess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now with Mark, I just didn't care. The pacifier falls down. I pick it. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's about surviving, man. <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> Were there any qualities do you feel that your parents exhibited when you were younger that you wanted to make sure that you took on once you became a parent? Oof. Oh. <laughs> I feel like, because you know, my, um, my mom and my little brother, David, they moved to the States when I was eight. Mm-hmm. So most of my adult life, I didn't have my mom. Mm. So it was just my me, my dad, and my older siblings. Mm-hmm. So I, I never really paid attention to their parenting skills. All I know is, okay, this man is my father. Yeah. He's very strict. I'm going to take his orders, you know. So I never really paid attention to any of the qualities they had or anything that I need to like follow with my kids. I just I just go with the flow gotcha. at this point. I just learn as I go. Mm-hmm. Because you, there is no playbook when it comes to parenting. This is true. This is yeah, true. Every, yeah, it's not one size fits all. <laughs> right, right. Very so true. I just learn as I go and just try my best to make sure that I raise them the right way. Right. The Ghanaian, I'll say like 80% the Ghanaian way and 20% American. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Which is a juggle. Yeah. Now, do you feel like, or what advice would you give to another mom who is trying to figure out how to have her hobbies, like how you still ride and how you do all of the things that you like? What advice would you give to a mother who wants to still do all the things that she's interested in, but it's just like struggling to become a creature of habit or how to figure that out? (laughs) I just... I feel like uh, we need a lot of self-reflection and support. I feel, I feel like it's the greatest tool for breaking through any old habits mm-hmm. and um, blocking your joy and progress in life. I mean, I feel like you need to have a schedule. Try. You have to try your best to not make them all about, like, make their life all about your life. You yeah. need to have, like, some sort of balance, you know, because at the end of the day, those two are going to go away and it's just going to be, you know, so try not to lose yourself. And it's okay to make mistakes. No mom is perfect. You're always going to make mistakes. And sometimes I I remember I I watch other moms and I feel like they are doing way better than I am. Mm. (laughs) So just try not to lose yourself and try to find the beauty in every experience. And I just have a good balance. Right. That's a good, that's a good tip. Really good. And my last question is I, I don't know if all moms feel like this, but like you were saying, sometimes we can be hard on ourselves. And sometimes we can, at least me sometimes, can miss my old life or my old figure or the (laughs) clothes I used to be able to fit into. (laughs) And I remember telling my husband once, I was like, I didn't know I was so like 
like slim and fit back then. I should have just been walking around naked. Why wasn't I like just naked all the time? I would have appreciated my body so much more before I had children had I known. <laughs> I used to be skinny. Oh my God. I used to be so skinny. I remember when I moved to the States, I was 90 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah, I used to be so skinny and now I'm like, I'm just fat, Keisha. You are not fat at all. I remember one time, this sticks out to me, when we had picked you up from school one afternoon and you had like this long flowing weave and you had on this long maxi dress and it was like you were floating down a runway through the parking lot like you had just got off of your private jet, your shades was on. And I was like, oh my gosh, you look like Naomi Campbell or something. Good times, Keisha. Was a good time. <laughs> yes, but how how do you not beat yourself up or be hard on yourself? How do you talk? Oh, I am. I am. Like, sometimes I look and study the mirror. And I did it today. I studied the mirror. I'm like, oh my God, look at this fat. Mm. It just won't go away. And I keep telling the kids, you did this to me. <laughs> <laughs> so with this, like you said, with this pandemic, I remember January first, twenty twenty. I'm like, okay, so this year I'm going to make it fifty percent of the kids, fifty percent of me. Mm. I'm going to have fun this year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to join a book club. Oh. I'm going to, I started. Yeah, I remember I went um in February this year. I went to the ballet, mm. and I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. Oh, you're just going to go to the ballet, go oh. to like I don't know the yeah. opera, you know. And then March came, and that was it. That was the end of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll try again next year, but right. for now, I'm like, oh my God, I have lost myself, and I don't have that Naomi Campbell anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm extra in The Walking Dead. <laughs> oh, extra in The Walking Dead. <laughs> but you're right, like, we can, everybody can, like, start over at any time, yep. and although 2020 had its other plans, there's always 2021, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and... You can start a book club and I can eventually one day go back to the gym and (laughs) (laughs) when it's safe again and it's it's something to just keep in mind of like you don't lose yourself. It's how to merge the before and after. You always have something to look forward to because yeah, that makes life much more bearable. Just have something to look forward to and it makes you happy. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember you used to always talk about how definitely being able to travel and have like luxury, luxurious things. And I, I know that you guys went to what, like skiing not long ago. Didn't y'all go to Colorado? Oh, yes, we did. Gotcha. That was in um, two years ago. Two years yeah. ago. And I know yeah. the pandemic threw everybody off like mm-hmm. this year, but do you still want to do that still travel and still oh yes oh mm. my god i have so many like i want to go to cuba mm. <laughs> i want to go back to some country in asia go to europe go to south africa because like cape town to the yeah. winery i just have so much and we we're just talking about it the other day i'm like the day mark because mark will be the last person to leave the house the day he goes to college keisha the moment i drop him off i am on the plane <laughs> <laughs> And that is what I look forward to. <laughs> like, that's when I'll get my old self back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That'll be the day. But now it's all about them. There's this lady on my job that told me these are the easy times because wait till they start the sports. Mm. 
wake up very early by 5 a.m. They would have to go training, um, wait till they start traveling and yeah. like move school and stuff. That's just your whole time gone. The time off that you get from work is dedicated to the kids. And she told me that this is actually very easy because when they start, yeah, life as you know it really is gone. <laughs> that is true. That's yeah. true. Okay. So before we wrap up, um, tell everybody about some of the books that you've written and where they can find them to purchase a copy. I like um, romantic suspense. So most of my books are all thrillers. And my first book, my first two books, I have I just combined them. Mm. It's one big book. It's called Kennedy and Tristan. Mm. And that, I released that in October this year. Nice. So it's, in, it's on Amazon and I have a widow's tale. Oh, yeah, and I, I got a really cool story about revenge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have clandestine affair and these are all on Amazon. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And I'll put. I'm working, I'm working on um another one, which is strictly thriller. So oh. that's what I'm working on right now. Exciting. Yeah. Okay. I'll put links to all of the novels in our show notes so that everybody can go online and buy a copy because it's amazing that you're able to still like <laughs> just shoot out a book every single year. <laughs> yeah. Stacy Abrams used to write. I'm like, oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, yes, right? Yes. Yes. All right, Pauline, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I'm so, so happy to have you.